Due to technical issues with audio during the Falls Church School Board meeting, the initial 3 minutes and 14 seconds were not recorded. This program will start from the point where the audio was successfully restored. We regret any inconvenience this may have caused. We're submitting questions to uh, Dr. Noonan and his team, uh, and, uh, and we'll review the answers that, um, and, um, that have been uh, provided by Ms. Michael and her team. Uh, those are all posted publicly on the website on um, board docs for the public to review and follow along. And tonight what we'll do uh, in similar fashion that we've done in the past is we'll review each of the questions as well as each of the answers provided and have a discussion among the board. Um, so from that, uh, Dr. Neal, we're going to go ahead and turn this over to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so first and foremost, thank you all to, um, to, well, thank you to those of you that had submitted some questions for our budget. Um, currently, I think we're up to budget question number nine. Um, we certainly aren't seeking more questions, but we just wanted to let you know that we will continue to take them um, and happily answer them for you. Um, we, we, you know, we, we want to do this as transparently as we possibly can as we work through it. Um, I do want to take just a second to thank again Michelle Kopic, who is away from the table at the moment, um, and also, pardon? Yeah, she's getting the door. Uh, and also Kristen Michael, our Chief Operating Officer. Um, between the two of them um, and our Chief Academic Officer and myself, we were able to pull these questions together um, in a pretty, pretty quick turnaround time, and hopefully these are, are helpful to you. Um, in the interest of time, I, I regret that Kristen won't be reading these um, from start to finish. Um, but she will be um, giving you a high-level overview uh, of each of these. So um, with that, Kristen, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you so much, Dr. Noonan. Um, John, are we going to pull the budget questions up on the screen? All right, so while he's pulling those up, I'll go right ahead and get started. The first question, um, number one, was how are the lunch and recess times at Oak Street adjusted? Um, lunch this year was changed from 20 minutes to 30 minutes. That allowed classroom teachers to have um, 30 minutes of a duty-free lunch and to supervise recess. And then recess is 15 to 20 minutes twice a day, except for early release Wednesdays. So that was question number one. Any questions on that? Question number two was regarding the Wednesday childcare subsidy. Um, so what would the amount of a subsidy be if we paid for Wednesday only care um, <clears throat> for families instead of having them pay? Um, the top paragraph just walks through the math and the formula in terms of how we did that calculation and that estimated cost of subsidizing early release child care for all of the families currently in the program is $236,574. So any questions on Wednesday child care? Yeah, and maybe I need to um, be more clear with the question. It wasn't, I wasn't looking for the amount for who's currently enrolled. Is that the answer that was given? That is the answer that's given. It's for all of the families who are currently there. If we were to not charge for Wednesdays, how much would the school system need to pay to subsidize care on Wednesdays? Okay, I guess I'm more interested in having an anticipated number of children that would be signed up for Wednesdays, and then what would that cost be? Um, only because I am concerned that, and I, and I understand Dr. Noonan, and, and I shouldn't say Dr. Noonan, other people's concern that it would probably be an unfair situation to pay for care when other families are, are needing to pay for their own care on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. But I think arguably um, the 
the, that FCCPS should be responsible for the payment for at least from the hours of 115 until 350. And then, you know, so maybe some sort of sh cost sharing situation with families and the families being responsible from 350 to 6.30 because um, arguably children are generally in school on Wednesdays, at, you know, from 115 to 350. So I was more looking to see what that cost would be um, just on Wednesdays for the children that would be enrolled in the Wednesday only. Thank, thank you so much for that clarification. We'll enter that as another budget question. Can, can I ask that we get consensus of the board before we move forward with that question? Because I, I don't know, I don't, I don't quite understand why we would subsidize for some um, Wednesday only kids and not for the other parents who also pay for Wednesdays. So I'm just trying to understand that. Sure, I, I guess that you know, maybe everybody should be subsidized from 115 to 350 on Wednesdays. Okay, we can we can cost that out, and, okay. and that would be roughly half of the cost that's in here, just in round numbers. Um, so you'd be looking if we if we split the cost on Wednesdays between families and the school division, it would be in the neighborhood of a hundred and seventeen thousand dollars or so, hundred eighteen thousand okay. dollars. We just we didn't answer the Wednesday only kids because I didn't think the board would be um, I didn't think there'd be consensus of the board to subsidize just for Wednesday only kids and not for everybody. Sure, no, and, and I understand that. And arguably, I you know maybe we should be looking at subsidizing all Wednesday care from one fifteen to three fifty. Okay, so. Would you can can we just get a feel from the board? Does everybody want us to do that calculus? I, I just am curious before we move ahead because that seems like a like a lot based on what we've shared. I, and I'm not pushing back. I just want to know. Can That's I ask all. A question? Suppose it were um, like free. I don't know. You know, um, would you advocate for like a policy within the structure of the of the um, after school program or the, or the, or the, the after school program to provide like you know a subsidized child care for that period like as kind of like a I mean like because I think it's there's two things one is the money the other one is directing that that's the way it be structured and spent and so would you be advocating for that suppose that we're I mean suppose the resources were there let me just make sure I understand your question making advocating <clears throat> that we have a policy that implemented this certain way? Is that what you're? That's right, yeah. Like, so, I mean, it, it, I think getting the, the numbers is fine, it appears to me, but I think it's a much longer discussion if we want to make that choice regarding providing such a subsidy. You know, I think that would be a, a great thing to have in policy. Um, right now, I, you know, I, I, if, if the board were in favor of that, you know, I, I, I just would like to, I, I understand that each, Wednesday might not be that extreme of an expense for families, but when it adds up over the course of the year and when you have multiple children within the aftercare program, just for the Wednesday only, it would still come out to over $1,000 per kid. So I would like to see if we could get that cost re reduced in some way, if that's through policy or another means. I'm yeah, happy to I, explore those. I don't those. know if it needs to be a policy, but obviously because it has to do with reallocating budget, it would be something the board would need to right. engage in. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, just speaking personally regarding Dr. Noonan's question, I think figuring out how much that will cost is something that makes sense. I think having more information than not is always a good thing. Um, 
I just reacting right now am not sure how I would fall on whether or not to do such a thing. I'd have to think about it some more. Okay. So that, that, but that's just me speaking for myself, so I don't know if any other board members want to. Others on the board? Uh, yeah, I I guess I don't in this moment understand the or don't at least agree with the philosophy of of it being our obligation to provide childcare. Um, I think that that's a slippery slope. Then we would be getting into teacher work days. Are we obligated to provide childcare for teacher work days and how many days of the summer? And um, I think it's just it's just part of the institution of public education that there are times when, as we went through the long discussion. Um, when we, were, when we came up with the policy for early release Wednesdays that um, there are times that um, teachers and staff need the kids to not, students to not be in the building. And um, or however, we, however we schedule that, um, it's just, I understand it's a burden on the families, but it's also a benefit to the students and staff that I just think comes with, comes with public education personally. Oh, Ms. Murphy. So I, I, I think um, at this point I'm probably not prepared to really um, speak, have an opinion yet on whether or not I think that would be feasible. But one concern I would have is whether um, this would lead to us needing to, impl or the, the um, you know, the, the providers to implement a cap and that fewer children would be able to um, benefit from the care. Yes, Dr. Could I, just, just um, so it doesn't sound like um, there's objection to getting more information. More information seems to be fine. Um, but I want to make sure I get your question just right. Um, so you're asking us to cost what it would be to subsidize for all kids on Wednesday for two hours, essentially. Yeah, that'd be correct. Okay. Okay. We can do that. I appreciate that. Thank you. And then you all can make the conversation. You can have the conversation about whether or not you want to change the, f the funding from where it would come from um, and the like, and then whether or not you want to change the or set a policy re relative to subsidizing Wednesdays. Yeah, it sounds like the idea of funding early release Wednesdays to the manner that Ms. Silverman described would require just a board discussion so we can look at uh, sliding an agenda topic for us to discuss that as a board so we can all react to it. Does that sound, Ms. Silverman, does that sound feasible for you? Yeah, I don't know if it needs to be a separate session if, if it's part of the budget process. Um. In terms of the process of do we want as a board to push for early release Wednesdays to be funded at the, the manner that you discussed, um, you're thinking that that does not, you don't need that to be a separate discussion? Um. Yeah, sure, we can have it as a separate discussion. I, I just don't want this to be separated out from a budget discussion. Okay, okay, that makes sense. When, when, we, when we respond to this in the budget question and we bring it forward at the next budget work session, um, it might be a good time to sort of, at that point, you, you know, you're getting to a place where you're going to have to adopt your advertised budget. And if your advertised budget is going to include a subsidy for Wednesdays, you're going to need to have that conversation probably sooner rather than later. So I don't know that there's going to be an opportunity to have a whole lot more conversation, um, at, like slotting it for a work session in a month or two. So I, I might suggest you 
would consider anyway having that at the next budget work so session. for the so just to say so for the question you're going to do a follow-up question to Ms. Silverman and then during that answer as a board we can use that time to talk about the overall proposal of having an early release Wednesday funded at different levels I think it would be important to know whether you want to have that in this budget or not because when you adopt your advertised budget true we want it to reflect what your values are okay so as a board we'll be ready in two weeks time to talk about this in response to the question that Ms. Silverman this follow-up question that Ms. Silverman proposed okay any other questions or comments about that from the board or Ms. Michael any okay the next question was related to extra pay for extra duty stipends um, we inadvertently left these out of the budget book so the following two pages provide the extra pay for extra duty stipends they're organized on the first page by activities and athletics and on the second page by school-based stipends and we will add these to the online version of the budget um, so people can access them right after page 295 and these costs reflect the cost of living adjustment that would be made as well yes and that will be a future question um, coming up in this set the next question question number four is about our reading specialist <clears throat> um, so currently um, in our proposed budget um, the reading specialist um, was not funded first primarily all of the positions that we added in the FY25 proposed budget were continuations of positions that were previously funded with one-time money and then the second item that factored into the consideration of the reading specialist is that we're currently staffed above the state recommended standards of quality which is one reading teacher for every 550 students um, and we currently have one and a half reading teachers at both Mount Daniel and Oak Street and that projected enrollment for next year is 520 and 578. Ms. Tice, Vice Chair Tice. Thank you. This was my question. I just had a couple follow-up questions. Um, what would the ballpark cost be of of the specialist? Sure, about $104,000. Okay. Um, and with the new, um, was the request, the request was just for Mount Daniel, so Oak Street would stay at 1.5, and the request would be that Mount Daniel would have 2.5? Is that that isn't we, we probably wouldn't do it that way right. actually we'd probably make them full positions at if we were to do it we would make them full positions um, however when we look at the needs based on the tier three instruction in the fall and the winter and the numbers of kids that need intervention we probably would recommend if if we were to move forward with this with this to not hire a reading specialist for Mount Daniel but instead uh, hire a reading interventionist someone who uh, provides a little bit more um, in in push in and pull out with kids as opposed to professional development with teachers right now at Mount Daniel Phyllis Kravinsky is there as a 1.0 reading teacher and then and reading specialist and then Katie Reardon's the 0.5 and we also have a 0.5 um, reading interventionist we would we would want to make that 0.5 a full position um, and then move Katie Reardon um, over to Oak Street full-time and probably add some time to the reading specialist okay so it would be more like collectively like a 2.0 at each school yeah okay um, and is the well it's 2.0 right now at Mount Daniel okay because Tim um, Kasich currently uses some of his part-time hourly money to pay for a half-time reading interventionist 
So what we would do is eliminate that. So yes, okay. we would eliminate that hourly money and put it into a position and create a 1.0 reading interventionist and then move Katie Reard and the reading specialist to um, Oak Street full time instead of splitting her time. Got it. So it would be it would still be roughly two full yeah, two positions. Um, and then is the the changes with the the VLA the Virginia mm -hmm. Literacy Act is that impact the both the schools is that is that a it does it impacts K both schools initiative it does yeah. um, what it also impacts ironically is that the standards of quality for reading teachers is actually going up. Um, even though they're instituting at the state level a new Virginia literacy initiative. Um, right now, it's K-3 um, and then 4-6 or 4-5 is a 1.0. And now they're looking at K-5 or K-6, depending on how you're configured, as a 1.0. So it would reduce the number of required reading teachers with the new Virginia Literacy Act based on the standards of quality. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Dr. Anderson? Yeah, just to follow up on that, since there's a half-time reading interventionist already at Mount Daniel, and the proposal would be to cut that back and then add a full-time reading interventionist, what would be the net impact? So I know the position would be $104,000 about, but since we would be getting rid of that half-time position, then presumably yep. the net impact would be less than that. It's, it's, an, it's a good question. Um, the net impact would be um, that reading intervention specialist position is being paid for out of one-time part-time hourly money. This would be a recurring full-time position, so the net impact would be the full-time position. Does that make sense? Yeah. Other questions or comments for? But good question. Question number five was, um, were all of the presumptive commitments in the collective bargaining agreement included in the budget? And yes, um, all of them were accounted for in the FY25 budget. So I have a follow-on question to this. Um, the answer references items with a projected financial impact greater than $10,000, which makes sense. How many items are there with a financial impact less than $10,000, and what do they add up to? There are a very small number of things with an impact less than $10,000. The one that immediately comes to mind um, is a one-time payment to food service workers who did not receive a lunch in prior years. Um, that estimated payment to those people is either $1,500 or $1,200. I'm flaking. I, th I think it's $1,500 because it was uh, a fully loaded number. Thank you. And there are six of those people. Um, that, that is the, the significant item that was not detailed out. It's a one-time payment. But it will be included in this, in the budget, like it will happen. Yes, it will absolutely happen. Um, the tentative agreement is that it will be paid at the first payment in July. Any other questions or comments about this? Um, number six was the VRS employer contribution rate. Um, the change in the employer rate for the Virginia retirement system does not result in any type of a decreased benefit or a loss of benefit for staff. Okay, question number seven was regarding one-time funding. Um, so the first is, you know, where does one-time funding come from? Um, one-time funding comes typically from 
kind of two different pots. The first is when we have revenue that's higher than we budgeted or expenditures that are less than we budgeted. So we have that savings available. So that's kind of one source of one-time money. The second is per our revenue sharing with the general government, when their revenue comes in in excess of what was budgeted, that additional revenue, we still receive our half of the revenue sharing agreement. So we receive that amount of one-time funding as well. And we typically get that the fiscal year ends June 30th, um, and they t typically tell us what that funding is later in the fall, so October, November timeframe. Um, so those are the two kind of sources of money. Um, this question response does reference the school board's policy on fund balance um, that talks about spending fund balance on capital projects that were um, approved but not funded in the capital improvement budget, looking at immediate one-time needs of a non-recurring nature or other operational needs. So when we look at um, our one-time money in the past, um, the budget question does detail the largest portion of money that we've received in terms of one-time money was from the general government, that revenue sharing agreement. Um, this last year, we, we received $920,500, and the year before that, it was $1,165,000 in one-time money, so two kind of large pots of money. Um, the baseball field was an item that we hadn't included in our CIP. Um, it had really been in our sites for a long period of time. Um, it was considered a lot as we were looking at renovating the high school, but with the limited amount of money that we had and all of the needs inside the building, um, we hadn't funded it at that time. So when we look at use of one-time funding, our first goal is really to use one-time funding on a one-time expenditure, right? It's really important that funding doesn't recur, right? It's not best practice to use it on recurring expenditures. With that being said, during the pandemic, we did use one-time funding to fund some positions that were really critical um, in terms of our school system. So we had said when we funded those with one-time money that when recurring funding was available, we would transition those positions to recurring funding. And you really see that in this FY25 budget. Any questions on one-time funding? Thank you. Um, so can you help educate me on the difference between the things listed in the budget as one-time funding and then the things that we might consider that the previous iteration of this board considered last fall as one-time funding and where the, whether those wish lists overlap. Like I just don't understand how there seem to be two different lists and they both go to one-time funding. Sure. So when we look at developing the budget, um, one of the things that we really try to do is have that long-term look. So in these last couple of years since the pandemic, where we've um, been looking at spending that one-time money on things that are more recurring in nature, or as we've received budget requests from the school and they're asking for things that truly are one-time in nature, we've incorporated them within the budget process. Right, and we've done that um, using, I would say, just a moderate amount of money um, each year. But when we've gotten those large amounts of money from the general government at the end of the year, those last two years, that amount of money has been really significant. So at that point, we took that money and we did come back to the board and say, with this large infusion of cash, right, we've developed these other recommended things that we would like the board to consider. So examples of that that the board approved, we used some of that funding for HVAC replacement at Maryland Henderson. We used it to replace all the flooring within that building, which was just a, a great thing to get done. The baseball field fell in that category. So we've really kind of come back to the board for capital items as compared to putting those operational needs within the budget process. I, I think I'd, I think what you've said is exactly spot on. I'll, I would just add that um, the COVID money that we received from the federal government 
was really the first time that we got extra funding to do some things that we knew were going to um, create for us a funding cliff eventually. And we're at that funding cliff now. And there are some things that we want to continue as part of that funding cliff. Prior to COVID, we have a we sort of have a working agreement and a working theory that we don't do anything out of one-time money that would ed what would it ever be recurring um, because we don't want to put us ourselves or the board or the system in a position where um, you know you've got a structural budget problem so when we look at those things that are on the unfunded list um, we it's a lot of people in there um, when we look at the unfunded list there are some things that are one-time money that we could pick off of that list and pay for, um, but in the end, the only thing that I recall specifically in this budget that we're gonna use one-time money for that's not people per se is some, an infusion in materials and supplies at Jesse Thackeray. That's traditionally how we use those, those funds. We wouldn't wanna ever do anything recurring. So, one more follow-up. So, do we have a wish list? Where do we maintain a wish list of those one-time funding things that aren't people? Yeah, um, we, uh, it's, a, it's a great and legitimate question. Um, the list of items that are at the back of the budget that you have are those items that have come up that we would love to be able to fund if we could, but made some decisions that we didn't feel like we should based on our current reality. Um, there's, not a, there's not really another list out there that we keep. Um, there are things that occur. So for example, if our cooler breaks down at the high school, um, you know, in the cafeteria, we might use one-time money to repair that. It's kind of like a savings account if something bad happens. But um, those those are the items that we see utilizing one-time funding for. And then we do get requests throughout the year from principals or from teachers asking for, "I'd like to bring in a guest speaker. I'd like to do X, Y, or Z. Can we can we hire somebody to do that?" And we'll oftentimes utilize one-time money that way, but we we don't have a we don't have a list of items that has been codified. The only list that we have are those things that are in here, and then our capital improvement plan. Okay, um, so the list that's in here is almost entirely people, right? Which most of it would be re recurring. Uh, and I think I see a vehicle that was funded. I think it would be helpful if, as these requests come up, the big dollar requests, not that can I spend 100 bucks and bring somebody in, um, to keep a running list of that so that uh, we're aware over the course of a couple of years, just like this, it'd be helpful to see what folks are asking for and what our, uh, what our buildings and teachers need. Sure. Um, to go back to what you were saying about the pre-COVID and post-COVID times, are there still people being funded at one-time funding? There are, um, I think, three or four people that we have in the budget currently. Three, I think. Um, one is psychological services. Um, Kristen, do you have that list in front of you? I do. I had to pull it up. Yep. Those are the items that were funded with the one-time pandemic funding from the general government. Um, so as super so it's not our local one-time money. It's pandemic money from the from the government. Correct. Correct. Um, and just as Dr. Noonan indicated, it was the um, pandemic or the psychological services. It's an English for speakers of other languages teacher. And then we do have an advanced academic coordinator, the halftime advanced academic coordinator. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Is it just to make sure I'm clear, but if 
if as presented these would there, there wouldn't be any remaining one-time funded this is the staff. last year of the pandemic funding so next year those three well the psych services in those two positions the half-time advanced academic teacher and the ESOL teacher will not be funded that will be a decision then next year we'll look at to say okay is it important for us to put into the budget as as a recurring cost um, now that we've made it through the pandemic with those uh, those positions and we traditionally and I'll just share with the board we traditionally go back to our unfunded well those things that are funded with one-time money and then look at our unfunded list th first and we've been fortunate enough in the last several years to be able to get almost everything off the unfunded list from the prior year the following year um, so if if in the conversation next year at this time we're talking about you know uh, you know let's say I, I put in the advanced academic coordinator and the ESOL teacher into permanent position then at that point we, we decide does it stay or doesn't it stay does that answer your question okay That ties really well into the next question, which is number eight on unfunded priorities. Um, so we said if additional funding becomes available, senior staff along with school-based leadership and operational leaders will meet um, to discuss all the priorities on the unfunded list. Ms. Henderson. Yeah, so I'd like to understand more about what happens. Uh, if that happens, right? So, sure. what priorities are under consideration? Uh, how do you have that conversation? Who's in the room? Is it you know you guys and the principals all together? Or are you going school by school? Like, how do you balance? Right? Because we got four, or five buildings. Right. Um, how do you collectively seeing everything mm -hmm. uh, balance that? And then, what role and influence and input do the um, school-based leadership or teachers, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so, so it's a good question. Um, the budget cycle begins for us really in September. Um, in September, October, November, we're collecting data from our principals and from our teachers about what they think are most important in our budget. Um, we collect from this, each of the schools their, their budget requests, how much money it would cost, and we have all of that information sort of going into the pot. We do everything we possibly can given the scope of the um, strategic plan that we have and how it ties and looking at positions and then we come up with those things are, that are on the unfunded list we meet as a leadership team um, several times a month with principals leader principals directors our leadership team um, and then with CTLs and with other curriculum leads that are here at central office um, and we would utilize that time to go back and say okay you know we have a little bit of extra money here we have to make a recommendation to the board about how we'd like to spend this money what do you see as some of the priorities and we have that conversation typically in this room there might be 40 people uh, we might do some sort of exercise where we do the dot exercise we put everything up what's most important um, but typically we'll go through uh, just through a strong uh, a strong conversation with each other about that to come up with is this something we can all support and does it help each of us in individually because we do have the requests from each of the different schools um, and when we get in the room and we have those conversations and we hear from each other sometimes and and it's interesting to watch and you know the dynamics of people people will say well that's not as important as what you're talking about so let me get behind that and there's that negotiation that goes on so that's a sort of 
in the room um, sort of look at, at the way it goes. Uh, and, then, and then we cost it out. And, and if we have even more money, then we try to develop a priority order. And then we bring it to you guys, and, and you all ultimately will have the final authority. Any other questions, comments? Ms. Michael? And the last question, number nine, was on the EPD structure and the budget impact. So the EPD chart that's included in question three in the document takes the EPED values that we had in this current budget, and it does apply the COLA, the cost of living adjustment, of 3.5% to those EPEDs, right? And that COLA applies because if we're not continuing to adjust them, we fall behind the surrounding school divisions. The charts for FY25 are also modified by the three additional EPEDs that were included in the proposed budget. First was a web um, master stipend of $1,000 at each of the schools with the exclusion of JTP. There's a $2,500 EPED for the chemical support liaison um, at the high school, and then a $5,000 EPED, which is aligned with our curriculum team leader stipend amounts, um, and that is for the IB career-related program. Um, so just for a little bit more information on the board on our EPED structure, when we did our compensation study with Siegel Consulting, they came in and picked comparator divisions to compare all of our salaries with. And for the EPED study, we did it in-house, and we used the exact same comparator districts. So we got together school leaders from each of our schools. They were really integral to the process, along with members from our curriculum and instruction team. And we looked at all of our EPEDs and how they related to surrounding jurisdictions. So we looked at that external equity. Then we also looked at internal equity. Um, you know, are we providing the same amount of staff, for example, coaches, when we look at girls basketball versus boys basketball? Um, and then we looked at all of our EPDs for equity at the different levels. So what are the expectations for a curriculum team leader at the secondary level as compared to the elementary level? So then all of that analysis was done, and then the principals went back to their schools and shared all of that information with the teachers in terms of the EPD changes that we made this last year. So are these, are these levels the same if, because um, I understand that in some instances you may hire a community member to fill one of these positions, like a coach, and are the, are the levels the same if you hire someone from the community? And also, um, how do you determine, uh, is there a priority between hiring someone from um, the school first or, you know? Excellent, excellent questions. So the EPD amounts are the same whether you're a current school system employee in another capacity or if you're not. Um, and then when they're looking to fill these positions, they're really looking for who has the best expertise. So for example, if they're looking for a, a coach of a specific sport, they really want the person who can coach best. But right? we really like people that are on our staff. And we, we are going to look at our staff first, and then we'll, then we'll go to the community after that. Other questions, comments? Okay. That's it. Okay. Well, uh, appreciate the, uh, the the detailed discussions on each of these. And Ms. Kopik, Ms. Michael, really appreciate all the time. Uh, this is just one session of three that we're going to be going through. So we really appreciate all the time on the budget. And as always, for the public and also for the board, just to go through this level of transparency and the level of detail is very helpful for a very complicated budget. So thank you very much.
Yeah. All right. All right, we're going to go on now to section four. Um, we're going to move to uh, materials for the board review. So 4.01, materials for board review, specifically the, um, the FY 2024 budget report. So Dr. Noonan, back to you. Yeah, thanks. Um, and I'm going to shoot it over to Ms. Michael in just a second. Typically, though, we don't do this. Um, we don't go to this level of detail in work sessions. We typically just give it to you as a um, monthly budget report, but we thought since we have some new members and we're sort of getting to know each other a little bit more, um, it would be a good opportunity to go through one so that you all could see what it looks like as we, as we move forward. But after this, we'll just give you the monthly budget report as part of your materials. So thank you, Dr. Noonan. The first thing that I want to do is I want to thank Michelle Kopic, who's here. Michelle is our budget and finance director. So I'm going through this document, but Michelle really does all of the work in terms of not only preparing this report for you, but also in terms of all of the managing of the financial transactions that occur each month. So thank you so much, Michelle, for all of your great work. Um, in this monthly budget report, on page one, we always present just a summary. It's intended to be a really high-level summary of revenue and expenditures, you know, kind of thinking of this report using that bite-snack-meal methodology. Um, you know, so this top page is just a bite, so it's going to give you a really high-level overview. Then when you get to the next page, I might try this instead. Oh, there. I, fi I figured it out with persistence. <laughs> so on page two, we include a summary chart. And the summary chart, um, just to provide some reference for it, it shows both our revenue and our expenditures by major category. And then for revenue and expenditures, the data that it provides you is our revised budget. So that is our FY24 adopted budget approved by the school board. And then it includes any additional budget amendments or carryover is typically what you see. And carryover are purchase orders that carried over from the prior year. So that's why typically your revised budget is slightly different from your approved budget number. Um, but we have the revised budget in the first column. The second column is the actual. So it's the actual revenue received through this date, and this report is through December, which is month six, or it's the actual expenditures that were incurred during that same period. The third column, sum of encumbrances. Encumbrances are purchase orders. Those are purchase orders that we've put in place for goods or services that have not yet been delivered. So we would put a purchase order in place for things like electricity, paying Dominion, but it would also be for something that we ordered, say library books for a library, for example. Um, so they're committed expenditures. Following those categories, the next column is the available budget. On the revenue side, that shows you um, how much revenue we have not yet collected. And on the expenditure side, it shows you the remaining funds available when we subtract our actual expenditures and the encumbrances from the budget. And then that last column just shows you the percent available. So what is that available as a percentage of the overall budget? So we provide you with that summary chart on page one or page two after the summary. And then when we get to page three, on page three we show you a comparison chart. And this chart compares our revenue and expenditures for this current year with the two prior years. Right? It gives a little bit of a historical look um, in both a chart form and in a text box form. So when we look through this, I'll just, I can take just a minute and talk through the top category or the top chart if we want. 
So we look at all of our revenue and expenditures. Um, as we go through in the written report following these charts, we're going to provide you with a written narrative that's going to walk you through kind of each of these sections in a little bit more detail. So we start with the overview at the top, and then we start walking through each revenue category. Right, so you can look overall, we're trending, you know, very consistently with the prior years that we've had. And then you move into the other revenue category, for example. So I'm not going to walk through and read each one of these categories to you, but you can see that it's going to provide you with the summary um, for each one of those cases. I will note in this report, one of the things that you'll see is when we have any data or things that change, that explanation is going to be included. So when we look at the state budget here, for example, um, our state funding, one of the things that we talk about here is our sales tax is tracking below what we had budgeted. Um, that's what we've shared in our previous monthly monitoring reports. And the state has updated their sales tax projections when the governor released his budget. And in fact, they are lowering those estimates for the year. Um, but at the same time, when you look at that, our state aid is tracking higher. So in cases like this where there's a variance with an explanation, we would be providing that written information to you here. So you could see that we're thinking that through till the end of the year. So after the revenue categories, we um, then walk through all of the expenditures. Again, the major categories are salaries, benefits, and then all of our other expenditures. When we look at salaries, um, one of the things that you'll see is we pay our employees here, our teachers, over 12 months. So when we pay teachers next July and August, that's part of this fiscal year's expenditures. Um, so when you look at this month six, we've really only paid four months of teacher salaries to date. Um, and then when we look at benefits, um, benefits like VRS, the Virginia Retirement System, we have to pay that over teachers' contracts. So we pay for VRS over their 10 months of their contract as compared to like health insurance that's paid over 12 months. So we also give a little bit of information about that there. So following the explanations for each of these categories for the board at the back of this report is the actual meal. So at this point, um, we provide you with a chart that shows all of the revenue and expenditures at the object level. So that's really the what. What are we getting the revenue for, right? Or what is the expenditure for? So at the very top of this, of course, um, the very first thing you see is school bus arm violations, um, which is a category that we have been trending um, higher than we had budgeted in terms of overall revenue. Um, but this chart lets you see exactly what was our budget for the year in the first column, how much have we received to date, um, how much is remaining outstanding, and then what percent is available. So you can see, um, you know, as in month, as we're in month six, we've collected just about half of our revenue from stop arm cameras that we budgeted, for example. And then following the revenue in the section, the exact same thing is provided for expenditure. So you see all of that as well. So that's just a little bit about the monthly budget report. So thank you. I have a clarifying question, by the way. Thank you for going through that. Super helpful. Um, seeing revenue or even expenditures as percent available is a different construct for me than the one yeah. I'm used to looking at. Yeah. Uh, so can you set type, say again what that means in the revenue? I get it from the expense context, but what that means in the revenue context? Yes, I can. And I agree. Why don't we have all the money we need? <laughs> no, I always uh, I'm always showing up as negative. That's a really confusing question. <laughs> I know. You're always like, so in terms of the revenue, the available budget reflects the revenue that we budgeted and not yet received, which is definitely kind of a strange construct, right? It's also a little bit hard. There's some revenues, like state revenue, that we're going to receive every month. 
but then there are other revenues like our transfer from the general government that is never posted until the very last month of the fiscal year yeah that that part's not strange but the the percent available on revenue is strange so it's not really the percent of revenue that's available it's the percent of revenue we have not yet collected that is correct yep so for example student activity fees we we have not collected student activity fees even though it's budgeted a hundred and ten thousand is that right yes so we still have a hundred percent of that not yet collected <laughs> yes and that, that's collected from students the school activity funds right so like they collect the fees at the beginning of the year and they will reimburse us but again that's something that takes time and tends to get done very late in the school year questions about the monthly report or any other comments Okay, thank you, Ms. Michael. Thanks, Ms. Kopic. Okay, uh, can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, this concludes tonight's work session before eight o'clock. It's a sitcom, uh, sitcom timing. So uh, thank you all for being here tonight. Um, we are about to move to close, but until then, Dr. Noonan, is there anything else before we move to close? No, I don't think so. Um, only just as a reminder, if you um, get us your budget questions, we'll get those out as quickly as possible. But if you could try to get them to us, um, the, the Friday before the work session. That way we have a chance to, to get them done. Earlier is better. Earlier but better. thanks for, thanks for uh, helping us out. Great. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. Okay. Thank you, everybody. All right. All right. I'm going to kick everybody out.